0: No matter your niche, it all comes down to the fact that most will listen. Some may even take notes, but only a few will press the damn button. Join global keynote speaker and digital futurist Brian Fanzo as he brings you the secrets of those that have pressed that damn button and transformed their lives and businesses in ways that will inspire us all. Brian, over to you. All right, what's up everybody thanks for jumping in live we are doing a, a friday evening live recording uh, which is a lot of fun uh, wrap up the week and uh, i have a fun, we have a fun one for you because we got a, a warm-up that i just tweeted, i tweeted out and said one of my favorite uh podcast guest spots that i was uh recorded an episode on saba's podcast uh just before this uh earlier today and now um we're flipping the roles so this is going to be uh, me asking her questions and bring it in. So uh, it, it is live. I will see the questions. Uh, I do have the chat up here uh, for those that are watching live. What's up, Chef Lizette over on Periscope? Um, so feel free to comment and I will see them. Um, but yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk a little press the damn button, uh, go into a little bit of Saba's background and even talk design thinking, which I, I'm excited about. So uh, with that, let's get into the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Press the Damn Button. Uh, Excited to be back with you. Of course, we are live streaming with our sponsor, Restream.io. Restream allows me to record these episodes simply sending a link to the guest joining via browser, and I can send that signal to up to 30 different social media channels. Today we are on YouTube, Facebook, Uh, we are on LinkedIn Live, we are on Periscope, which is Twitter, uh, and of course, Twitch as well, so uh, always fun to... Not only push the envelopes, but have my the sponsor who 's powering the show um, sponsoring the podcast as well and in the in the show notes you 'll see a link uh, for a special deal with uh, restream. So make sure you support the sponsor. They're the ones that make this happen. And so with that, I'm excited. We, I have uh, So Saba is going to be our guest, uh, Kidway. Saba Kidway, right? I got that right? All right. I, I I hosted an event a couple of days ago and I butchered a lot of names. So I, I'm happy that I'm, I'm one for one on that side. But uh, Saba and I first connected, actually we figured out, or I figured out last night, this week, uh, four years ago in 2016 via Snapchat. Uh, I was going back and doing our research of our connection and happened to have the first uh, Snapchat correspondence that we ever had um, still in our safe Snapchat. So kind of cool that that was very um, symbiotic for us to make that, that all happen. But um, with that being said, Saba, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. As you know, for my audience that have been listening to this show, part of the reason I created Press the Damn Button, the podcast was I have an amazing network of, of just some really in people that are in all kinds of different walks of life that are doing some innovative things that I want to connect with you guys to really bring in different thoughts, different ways of, of doing things. And I, I will put this out there. We've had some different friends of mine, uh, a couple of different authors recently, uh, the most recent one with my good friend who wrote the book Black Sheep. And Saba is one of the people that really with her way of thinking and thought process inspires me to to be more curious, to rethink uh, way, how I present, how I educate, uh, even the thought process in what we're all kind of thinking in different ways uh, to be inspired. So you guys are in for a treat. This is gonna be uh, a lot of fun. And like I said, I was just on her podcast, and now we're flipping the script. So um, with that being said, Sabah, give us a little of your background. How do you know? We I'm to go from where did you start out and where you know where you are today, and then we'll kind of break down a little bit of that.
1: Absolutely! Thanks so much for that introduction. Let's hope we can live up to that. Um, but I, I am Saba, and I really, I think, I so I. I like to share a little bit about how I was born in London and I moved to California um, when I was 10 years old. And I think for me, that was probably one of the most transformative experiences because I absolutely was miserable when we moved here. And one of the things that made it so miserable was like school was so different. The experience of school was so different than how I had grown up experiencing it in London. And I got to a point where I was in high school where this, this rote learning style was just way too, just really, quite frankly, just so boring and just so frustrating that when I was a junior, I actually took the high school exit exam and I found out I could take a test. I could leave high school early and I could go to community college and there I could choose my own schedule and choose my own classes and I could do all of those kinds of things. And so that's what I did at 16. I went to community college and it was so crazy because I took everything in literally as, as much as I could from like theater arts to graphic design to computer science and one of the courses, um, or one of, I guess, the categories of courses that I had taken a lot of was social science. And so one day I got a letter saying that, oh, you've been nominated for the dean's list for social science. And I was like, I didn't apply for this. And they're like, well, you've taken a lot of social science classes and you have like the GPA for like, you know, this award. And I was like, oh, Okay. And so I basically ended up going on to major in social science. And it just so happened that around that time, I was thinking about what I wanted to actually do with the major. And I was doing an internship with a program called EOPS. And EOPS is basically a program to support um, low income students and kind of show them that different like um, pathways that they have once they graduate high school community college being one of them. So I was assigned to two high schools. And I just absolutely found my passion in working with that age level of students. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go be a teacher. First, I thought I was going to do elementary. And then I was like, you know, I really loved working with those students and just coaching them and just helping them navigate what their interests are and helping them see opportunities that they didn't know were available to them. And so I went to become a high school teacher. And that's what I did for about 10 years. And then I sold. Transitioned into you know in about 2011 it was um, the iPad that really became popular um, in a lot of schools and so I kind of switched a little bit I was teaching half time and helping people think about technology integration the other half of the time and did that for both you know K-12 for higher education and most recently after having learned all of these different things about you know education and how things can be changed was so curious about what it would be like to be a student again so I went back I got my doctorate. Just graduated last month. And I took a look at sort of global education systems and just was really curious. I love to travel. So I was really curious about what's happening um, in the education space worldwide today and had that opportunity through my doctoral program to kind of dive deeper and take a look at, you know, kind of just the future of learning and um, where we can go and what it was like to be a student again.
0: So I love that, but let's break it down like from a from schooling so on your podcast earlier today, I talked how much school was a struggle for me, and I eventually you know started doing a lot more training and learning and now you know speaking on that side of the house for for you going from you know the, that early you know success in education to being a, a school teacher you know a public school teacher, how was that transition for you was it because I always say, like for me, I, I have the utmost respect for teachers. I mean, for me, when it comes to teachers, I, uh, so the mother of my kids is a high school teacher. She teaches uh, international baccalaureate right now. Um, and she's gone and got her master's. She teaches uh, geography and history, uh, although... Even when we were seniors in college. I I took a history class with her. She got an A and I got a C. So I, that didn't still didn't help from from my side. But I always think that, you know, teachers have to love what they're doing. And I know right now I hear a lot of interviews about, you know, teachers having to do it virtually. And the ones that want to go back to class, like they're not doing it for the paycheck. We know that. I've always believed, you know, underpaid. How did you look at that? How what, in your part of your life when you were there? Was it your way of giving back? at your way of like, Hey, this is getting the career for the rest of my life. How did you approach that? Like, you know, jump into teaching early on.
1: I feel like when I had that experience um, working with the two high schools I was assigned to and kind of sharing with them just the different pathway options they had, it just, I remember really thinking, wow, I can't believe they don't know that these opportunities are available to them. And I think that coaching and that mentoring and just being able to be that for them was something that just gave me such a tremendous amount of joy that I was like, wow, this would be a really fun career. And, you know, I love politics. I love history. And I was able to, I think that's one of the things when I look back, it was really having that rapport with students, really building that rapport, um, just getting to know them and just helping them see opportunities helping them see parts of themselves just becoming a bit more self-aware about who they are what they want to do um, there's just make for such great conversations and a lot of that happens through projects so when we're working on projects and when we're doing things like that you know you're figuring things out you're working through things you're discovering things about yourself whether it's do you like to speak do you like to organize do you like to lead um, do you like to be more in the background you know are you are you more into design and graphics like there's so many things you learn about yourself through a Project that you do, so being able to sort of like facilitate projects in the classroom and kind of teach through that style um, just allowed for like a lot of fun hanging out. To be honest, like hanging out, learning, just and kind of just having a good time.
0: I love that. You know, now when you were younger and like that idea of curiosity, creativity, who was your inspiration? Like, was were your parents inspiring that? Well, like, where did you find the kind of inspiration to kind of take that approach? Because I think for a lot of people, there is. You know, once you're in it, it's like it can be overwhelming. You become very programmatic and mundane. And I can't see that being, you know, for me, for how I know you, I can't see that being your way. But what was your inspiration kind of growing up to kind of think that way?
1: I feel like it's one of those things when you're younger, you don't really realize, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So your environment is, it allows you to do the things that you do. But I will say growing up, I reflect on that a lot. And I think I've brought it down so far, at least, to two things. So my dad was an entrepreneur. And he is an entrepreneur to the core. Like sometimes there's things that happen. I'm like, how does that not scare you? Like, how are you willing to take that risk? How are you willing to do this? And so when I think about how we grew up, how, you know, we moved from like London to, you know, California, um, there was also a time in the middle of university when um, it was about 2000 and two or three, my dad moved to Dubai to start some businesses over there. And, you know, he was like, hey, if you want to, you know, when you have vacation, you can come along with it. me too. And so I think just being around in, in an environment where moving wasn't really a big deal, you know, where traveling somewhere was kind of just like, okay, we're just going to do this. Um, that I think allows you in some ways to be able to then, you know, when you ha- when there's a job opportunity in another city or you think about doing something different. I think when you're in an environment where like in my case, my parent, my dad was an entrepreneur. I feel like that has um, led a lot into that. And I think the other thing alongside that is We were never, so it's me and I have three sisters. We were never really molded into this is what you're going to do when you're older. You know, and I think there is that narrative a lot of times, especially in like the South Asian community, like you're going to be a doctor, and engineer, or there's very few categories that people are happy with that you want to do. But because I think my dad himself had broken that mold, he was an entrepreneur at a time where like, it wasn't even a thing. Um, I think that was something that he valued. And so he always kind of highlighted within us our unique qualities. Because it's really interesting... Yeah growing up now being like, wow, we're four sisters, yet we're not really competitive. But when we come together to like plan a wedding or plan a baby shower or something, we each or even a trip or even just a party, like we each have this unique skill set that we bring to the table. And I think because we were raised to like really like be who we were and to be like the idea that like be a collaborator, like know what you're really good at, be a collaborator with others. Cause we were, you know, we were four sisters. Um, I think those things have definitely, those would be the top two that I kind of bring it down to as to why I am okay experimenting with new things. Why, where my confidence perhaps comes from and then, um, why I'm okay trying new opportunities
0: I love that, and I think you know part of that, which is interesting too, is uh, you know I have three daughters of my own. My partner Jennifer has a daughter, so I have four from the age of ten uh, to three years old uh, at the moment, and that idea of you know, facilitating collaboration, right? Like um, in my daughter's, like one of the shows they watch, we now use the quote all the time where we say, you know, um, sisters by chance, friends by choice. Um, and I like love that. Like it makes, like warms my heart in the sense of knowing they have like built in uh, best friends and my partner, she's actually a twin. So she has a, uh, a a twin sister as well. And I'm like, you know, watching those connections. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've you know, really connected with you on not only your you know, experience and what you've done, but like your approach to the education space from a uh, a teacher, from a from a, a student perspective, but also from like this collaboration. you know, like you were on Snapchat looking for creative ideas when you and I, you know, kind of first connected that original time. And so, I when you look at where we're at now, I think you know as a dad, and I think for a lot of the people that are out there, you know, we're forcing people into Zoom, we're forcing people, you know, into technology and. Take, we 're not going to have that argument, but if you 're looking at some of the things that your dad or you know be, how you were raised enabled you to look at things differently, have the curiosity, have a desire to travel, live, be very independent and strong, and i mean a, I mean, a role model for what my daughters look up to in the sense of your approach to everything in life. What are some things that you could, you could maybe lean back on or remember that you're like, hey, I remember my dad's commitment to this? Or are there some things that, like, you know, that really stood out that maybe we can implement as, as parents?
1: Yeah. Um I guess I would say maybe there's like two things that I guess like come to the top of my mind. And I would say the first one is when I graduated in 2008. So the one thing my dad was really big on was education. Like it wasn't even a choice. Like you were not just going to go all the way to university and get your bachelor's, but you were going to do your master's too, because if you left in the middle, you would never go back and you would never do it. And so (laughs) it is one of the things that like he really, I think, like ingrained. And I'm so grateful for that. And so it it was though that storyline, right? That like, you know, you go to school, School do really well in school like education is such a core value which it absolutely is and um, graduate and the narrative was kind of like you're going to get a really good job and that's how you build your future you know you go to school right. you do well and then you get a good job and that's it and I graduated with my master's in 2008 and I was really lucky I was at such a fabulous school it was actually a this is sort of like a dream environment for a history or usually an English teacher as well is that history and English co teach so you have the same group of students you teach together you know, it's just a really beautiful environment. And I did that for a year, but it, that was obviously the year of the recession. And, um, you know, I got a pink slip and like, well, that nobody had told me like, what's a pink slip? You know, no one had like shared any part of that story. And so that figuring that out took five years and It was like jumping from, and I was always really fortunate. I was always able to get another job like as a teacher, but just that struggle and then not really being able to have a home. You don't really develop you know, r- relationships with people just in a few months. And so not being able to have a home or community to be a part of really, really made me question where I was, what I was doing to the point where I was almost ready to switch industries. Oh, wow. And then I read a book by Seth Godin, um, Linchpin. Which was really all about how to identify like what makes you unique and Mm -hmm. how you can pitch that as a way of being like indispensable to organizations. And so it just brought me back to how my dad used to always highlight those things about us that made us unique. So I was like, okay, I've never really thought about that though in like a, in a work context. It was more in a personal context, which are the same, but you've got to make like tangible connection. And then when I started discovering that, I started discovering social media. I started discovering, wow, there's like a whole world beyond like my school over here in my city. There's like a whole world out there where people are doing all kinds of things. And so that really got me motivated to sort of like build a website, kind of get out there a little bit more. Definitely took me a lot longer to get on things like Twitter and Instagram and later Snapchat. But once I did, I just felt like I was meeting like people like you that were just like doing these incredible things. And I actually, I especially was fascinated by people that weren't a part of education because one of the biggest gripes I think I had with my undergraduate and graduate experience, which is, holds the same for the program I just graduated from, is none of them really f- did anything to prepare us for what was going to come five, ten years from now. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about 2007 and Thomas Friedman's book um, – <laughs> thank you for being late, which lists all the things that were happening from YouTube to Facebook to Twitter to chips to just, I mean, anything you name it was happening. And I just was like, how was that not something that was even mentioned to me as somebody who's about to go and educate people that are going to be living in this like the new generation. And so I think it was like a mix of those that kind of brought me to Um, being somebody who would like open up Snapchat and like look for people and things like that. That curiosity was sparked through the idea that you can become irrelevant at any moment and that fear of becoming irrelevant is I think what ultimately drives me to just try and experiment with new things.
0: I love that the fear of becoming irrelevant. And like for me, um, you know, I, not only did I struggle at school, but I like I loved school the concept. Uh, you know, like perfect attendance, you know, was newspaper, yearbook in high school, college I played hockey, fraternity, you know, was very active, you know, all the school. They, even now I'm doing some things cool with uh, Radford and and I was very connected, but because I struggled so much uh, through school from, you know, paying attention to understanding what I was doing and I think a lot of it also was that idea of really not knowing what I wanted to be when I grew up, right? It was actually my senior year that I was exposed to Guy Kawasaki, which was like the, oh, the technology evangelist. Like, I think I could, I, I think, you know, and that was so that was 2003 that I was kind of exposed. Uh, you know, I was aware of him in, in probably 99, but uh, 2003. When you look at education, like there are people, you know, We have, you know, Gary Vee and there's other approaches. I like, for me, the things that I leverage still to this day, 17 years after I graduated, from a standpoint of, you know, I was the youngest fraternity president. So I had a, you know, I was a sophomore and a majority of our junior seniors. And my my first job, I ended up managing people that were all older than I was. A lot of my clients today, almost every one of them have to hire the kid with the backwards hat and the funny shoes and that like relatability. And so the life lessons, although... For me, I struggled in the classroom. The life lessons that I learned from fraternity life, all of those really still have connected with me. But I feel like you did. There was, there was that missing part. And I remember, like, there's some educators right now. Um, Karen Friedberg is, a, is a, a great example. There's some really great educators right now that are pushing, hey, let's see what the industry are doing. I've, I've been a guest professor, which is always funny for me, in probably nine or 10 marketing classes, which I think is exciting. But how do you look at that that being kind of inspired for, for that, especially, you know, as from a student's perspective, that's going to not only keep you motivated, but you're going to start to see that light. How do you, how do we start kind of driving that more as it being more of the norm rather than, you know, us having just a few examples?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many different avenues you can approach that from. So like, you know, one of my favorite examples of somebody doing that in that space is like Ising, right? Like she is like yes. out there, like, and I think just her credibility and her own journey, um, is a great example of how she's trying to bring that to the space. One of the things I was curious about, you know, in sort of what propelled me to go back to school was, I feel like, and I think you, you know, you mentioned this when you were um, with me on the podcast earlier, this idea that we can't wait for other people to do things for us. We can't wait for the leaders to create the environment and then we're going to do something. There has to be something where we go direct to market almost, you know? So it's as a student. So like my podcast was really, you know, an extension of my research and my doctoral work. And so, you know, the, the, the product that the school is going to ask for is that 160x page document that's going to go that really very few people are going to see or read. And so for me, knowing though, what other avenues are available to me? You know, I was like, okay, should I do a video series? Like you can do all these different things. I sort of like gravitated a little bit more to the podcast, going deeper on some of the topics that I was learning about that I was writing about. And so I do think there is an opportunity for people to speak directly to students, you know, like they, they're, they're already familiar with everything. They're actually already doing a lot of it, right? Like we're listening to podcasts or we're on Snapchat or we're on Instagram, we're in all these places, but thinking about how to use it in that way to sort of network. And as you, say, like put your story out there, like press the damn button, like share who you are, share your journey along the way. That to me is what can really introduce you to, it's to me, modern day networking. That is, is going to allow you to meet people who are interested in doing what you're interested in doing. Um, when I taught at the university, I taught, um, in a program actually that my sister graduated from. And I saw like kind of like what she was doing. And I was like, wow, it sucks that you're not getting any of this information. Like you're not, you're missing out a whole part of what your experience should be for that's going to help you be successful. And so they actually ended up hiring me. And when we worked with the students, we started in year one. Like, don't wait until the end to figure out where you want to get a job, where you want to go, where you want to work based off of just what's posted. Think about where you want to live. What city do you want to live in? Like, whose values and mission align with what you want to do? And how are you going to network over the next three years to get yourself there? And so thinking of it from a backwards, like almost like a backwards design perspective uh, is kind of where I think we can go. Like, speaking directly to students
0: So, you know, and I, so the, your podcast, I have the the title down there, the spirit, uh, a sprint to success with design thinking. And I, you know, when we hung out uh, last year in person, you know, a lot of, you know, design thinking, I've gone through a couple of the, of the sprints with a couple of my clients. Uh, IBM did one with us as influencers. Dell did one as well, uh, which was really cool. It was such a fun, like mind opening experience. But interestingly enough for me, that's extremely curious, love learning and bleeding edge, Something about the design thinking concept was intimidating, was overwhelming, almost felt like I'm I'm not a doctoral candidate. I'm not someone at that level. How would how do you explain either? I'd love to hear how you discovered that like, and its impact early on. And then how do you explain it now so that it doesn't have that kind of overwhelming feel?
1: Yeah. So I, I, you know, I I wish I could remember like the exact moment or the exact way in which I discovered it. And I don't, I do remember though, what was happening that there were, there were three sort of events where the intersection was like ultimately led me to design thinking. And one of them was my parents had gone through a divorce. And I remember I was just constantly in the back of my head, like, like, People don't ask why. Like, there, w- there was a lot of criticism, there was a lot of judgment, there was a lot of like, you should be doing XYZ. But nobody ever really stopped to ask, like, why is this happening? Or, you know, if this is a stance you've taken, like, why are you choosing to do this over this? I was like, wow, people, like, literally, I would say to myself, and it's so embarrassing now, but I would say to myself, people are so stupid. Like, why does nobody ask why? You know, and I would, so that was like one area that was happening. The second one was, I was, I just got hired into that program that my sister was a part of. So it was a, it was a medical school of all places. I'm a history, social science major. I was totally out of place in this medical school environment. And I remember like not really knowing exactly what to do. And so I was just doing a lot of listening, a lot of observing and just trying to like figure out what was happening. At the same time, I had gone to a conference and it was two first grade teachers actually that were talking about how they were using this design thinking process with their first graders to read a book. So instead of just having the kids just read, they had the kids take on a character and kind of think about the story from a few different lenses. And I was like, wow, this design thinking thing is so interesting. Um, And I think when I heard the word empathy... And I heard how they were using empathy to have the kids connect to things beyond outside, outside of the character that they were looking at and just the different lenses. I was like, wow, like that's, it's not that people are stupid. It's not that anything. It's we don't, we're not trained to ask why we're trained to listen and judge. And that I think then took me down a rabbit hole of like, okay, what is empathy? And that's really, I think what makes the design thinking process unique. And I think that's one of the reasons why it can feel a little bit intimidating because it does ask you to erase what you know, which as an adult, it, it, you can't do it, first of all. So we don't fully ever erase what we know, but we become better and better and better at asking questions. And that's, it's a very, it, our mind is not used to working in that way. So when it's challenged like that, it feels foreign. And so the more you engage with design thinking practices, the more organic they become for you.
0: I love that, uh, and I love the way you kind of brought that because, like, we connect a lot on our your passion for empathy and kind of how that's going through. The thing that I remember, and you can probably correct, is I remember they told us to draw a vase, and everybody drew a vase, and then they said we want you to um, rather than draw a vase, we want you to draw a device that holds flowers. And that little, like, I remember, like, I was like, "What, what do you mean a dev-? And like, all of a sudden, like, this like new exploratory element of like a device that holds flowers. And then it was like, we want a device that holds flowers in this room that can be watered without, without the need of a human touch. And I was like, and then I start looking at like, people had these designs where they had desks with like flowers mounted in the middle of the desk. And like, it opened up this, this, i this idea of thinking where I've always like a lot of what I end up doing is I look at something and I think it's a little bit to do with my personality where I'm like, if everyone's zigging, I'm going to zag. Like, I I love that. Like, as soon as I see the trend that everyone's doing live streaming, I'm like, I want a YouTube channel. Like, and everyone's like, Brian, I thought you were the, like, because I, I like to kind of think of that. But I think design thinking also, I, like, I, the point of, like, not only asking better questions, but being willing to, like, truly answer questions, right? And I think that, to me, impacts our, our daily life right now. Like, your ability to ask questions. So when you look at that and look at your, like, I'm curious from, like, in the university side and, and getting your doctorate, like that that seems very intimidating to me and writing your, your dissertation and that whole piece. How did you approach that? Because I think there is an element of old school methodology, a lot of old school practices that you have to do. And like you said, you're writing this giant thing that you're putting your heart and soul into that very few people will read. How did you approach that from a mentality so that you could give it your all and still kind of be creative within it?
1: Yeah, a really big part of what motivated me was I was really passionate about the topic. I don't know that it's being documented. Like it's it's very it's it's new, but it's also not new. So the design thinking methodology has been around for so long in the business and enterprise space, but I think it's relatively new in a lot of other spaces. And I think, you know, um we are starting to see it more as not just a framework to solve problems, but also as a mindset for how we approach the world just as individuals. And so for me it was that that desire to share that story was ultimately the motivation. I was working with this absolutely incredible school. I just, I've I've followed them like since day one and to have the opportunity to share their story in a way that would be respected by people because it is in a certain format, you know, by the nature of how a doctoral program, like a, a study is set up, um, that, that really, really drove me. I'm a really big believer in research. I love research. Um, I like so much of what I do is driven by research. I feel like people have the answers to so many of our problems. Like, let's just go with these things are tested and proven. Why are we trying to like recreate things? Um, and so that was one really big driving motivation. And another really big one, like I told you before, was to test what is it like to be a student today? So I sit here mm-hmm. and I preach a lot about what we should be doing. I wanted an opportunity to test those things for myself. Like, what is it really like to share your story while you're doing something? And, you know, what is it like to create a product when it's not an expectation of you from a class requirement um, or as a class assignment? Um, And so that sort of became the motivation. I love the topic. Um, So I think, again, it's like with anything, right? Like if you love what you do, you will... um, you, I guess that that becomes sort of the motivation for it. Now, not, obviously, not everything is exciting about school, but it does give you a different lens to be
0: able to see things through. And so I'm curious so when you said the word research, it's so funny, like, and I think kind of breaking that down because we'll hear that. And, and like, I, I've said like, like like me always, like always be learning, right? I love learning, just finding new ways. I love looking at something from a different lens. And my audience, I was like, one of my keynotes that I give is called think like a fan. Um, My last name being Fanzo and it's put yourself in the shoes of the person that you want to help. And you did that physically as from a student and said, I can talk to this as a student, I'm curious when you look at research versus like learning or research versus that, how do you look at that like from a different lens? And because and, you said you love it, and I was like, I don't think I've ever said I love research, and I'm curious how you look at that.
1: Um, I think one of the reasons I love it is because I think. At least from like the the industry that I'm in, there's a lot of frameworks that are there, or ways in which you can organize and structure and design things. So one of the things that I appreciated the most about my undergraduate and graduate um, education, like back before I was become when I was becoming a teacher, was they taught us this method called um, Understanding by Design, and it's a research driven like methodology for how you should think about designing an experience for somebody. What do you want them to know? What do you want them to do? Right? So like skills yep. and knowledge. How will they demonstrate that to you? And then what will you do to support them? And just those three questions from that framework, and obviously their work, it's, its the authors are Wiggins and McTighe, but just that framework, I feel like, allowed me to be so flexible and so nimble throughout my career. So it wasn't like, whereas a lot of places will be like, okay, open up the textbook, chapter one, what are you going to teach? And when you do things from that way, Now that textbook is dictating what you're doing. And so, because I had that research based kind of framework when I had to ask the question, how will they show me what they're learning? Well, like, you know, in t- 10, 11 years ago, it was a Scantron, maybe a presentation. But, you know, once we got technology, it was like, oh, they could make a movie. They could do like, you know, a tweet conversation. Like, I mean, the pot, they could make a book, like a podcast. Like today, if we ask that question, the answers yep. are so different than what they would have been five years ago. So that to me is what research does. Like, I feel like there's so many people that are studying these topics in depth. Um, obviously, you know, like there, there's good and there's bad out there as well. So like, it's also a matter of like, okay, who are sort of the leaders in the, in these fields? We can, I think you say this, right? Like you can't be an expert in everything, but you can do something that you do really well. So for example, like I love Eric Brynjolfsson and how he talks about technology and how he talks about artificial intelligence and how we should be thinking about it. I'm never going to get to that level of expertise, you know, like that, that's his thing. That's what he does. And so I feel like taking the, um, the, the components of those people, the advice that they've given um, about how we can implement, that's where I feel like the learning comes. And so the learning is in the doing, right? Yep. So it's these people, they write out, these are the things you can do. But spending more of your time on the doing is where the learning comes in. So to me, that's kind of where that intersection comes into play.
0: I love that. And I think – so I love the way you brought that up because – uh, and, and I'll mention Gary Vee and like Gary V. had a big influence on me seeing marketing differently, especially jab, 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 right hook from a, from a concept, but also part of the thing with Gary and I, from like when we, I first, as I disagreed with just as much as I agreed with, right? And I think there's something beautiful about being able to, you know, understand people doing things different, being able to approach things differently. But one of the things that that you mentioned or we mentioned um, on your podcast that we recorded earlier that I thought that I was like, I just made me like, I was like, yeah, of course, because that's Saba and I. Is that we both watched both political parties' virtual events, right? And this isn't a political discussion. It's more of the idea of. Allowing our curiosity and learning to consume both sides so that we understand a lot of what's going on. And I feel that concept is really missing in America today, right? The, even the idea that you can have, you can disagree with somebody and yet still be associated. And you can learn, I and mean, I often say, like, I learn more from those I, I disagree with a lot of their core beliefs than I do from the people that are agreeing. And I and I think a lot of that also comes into that that way we approach things and the way our ability to ask the right questions. You're like you said that research to kind of grow, but there's a there's also this notion out there that I like to attack and and I'm curious for your thoughts. Where some people and I hear this more often now than I have ever before, they don't want to consume or or let's just say consumer do too much research because they want their thought to be original. They don't want to allow someone else's thought process to make them feel like an imposter. And I'm that gives it makes me very upset when I hear that because it's almost their lazy crutch of saying, I don't want to spend the time listening to anyone else. I just want everyone to listen to me. And, and Gary's one of those. Gary will say he's never listened to a podcast. And yet he's hosts five podcasts, five thousand episodes, and wants everyone to download his. And and that's something that I think in this world we're in today, you have to be committed to that learning, that research, that that consumption. But how would you how would you look at that? Because there's a lot of people that are gonna hear that and you're gonna say, I'm just gonna blast my message, blast my things, and I'm gonna use that excuse. How do you look at that?
1: So I don't know if this will answer your question, if it doesn't tell me. But when I think about how we consume and how we create, I think it used to be, right, that like you would create something, you would copyright it, and if anybody else took it, it was called cheating, it was plagiarism, it was all these things. I think one of the most difficult mindset adjustments we have to make is one person can have an idea. You need to credit them and show how you've built on the idea. Say that again.
0: Say that again. Did you hear that? Everyone that's listening, that is like the most important (laughs) foundation. Say that again. I feel like we
1: have to get comfortable in a place where we see an idea because... It is impossible for you today to not hear other ideas that they're, they're blasted all around you, like from every media outlet, from every screen, you can't even open your phone without somebody giving you highlights from an app of, you know, content they think you should consume. So <laughs> we, we have absorbed subconsciously, consciously information from everywhere. And if we, if we can make the mindset shift that this is where I got it from, And this is what I did with it, or this is how I built on it. You don't always have to even build and add something new. It could be like, I tried this and this is what it looked like. We need to get comfortable with that because very specifically, I talk about design thinking very specifically. There are way too many people that take that process and try to make it their own. Yes. And they do it a huge injustice. You take away the research, you take away its history, you take away so many of the components, whereas what the world really needs more of is how did you apply design thinking in your specific area? Because there's a thousand different areas in this world and challenges we need to address. And if we can get comfortable being okay, not having been the ones to create the framework, but being the ones who implemented, because this is what we learned I feel like we would really accelerate um, in our ability to do things and change and adapt more so than I oh, think we
0: currently are. So true. That is that is such a and I for me when you're confident enough to credit and tag and and allow the original creator of an idea in your approach to you know delivering it it adds validity to who you are and what you're about. And I think that's like the whole influencer game when all of a sudden people are stealing co- you know, comedy jokes and things. And I'm like, well, actually your ability to turn it into a meme is where you are creative. Quoting, you know, allowing the comedian to get the credit for the joke and making sure like that is some of that beauty. And, and I will say like, and, and I love, uh, what's up, Annie, how are you? Look at this. She's tuning in and she says, those who consume too much, end up intimidating, or, you know, or instead of innovating. And I, and I do believe there is a, a place that we can get to where it's over consumption and we, we start to turn consumption into a crutch where I need to learn. And we also oftentimes like to lo- use like the concept of, well, I'm going to study and I, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get woke. I'm going to whatever you want to say. I'm a, I'm going to learn. I am way too old to say that. I feel like that's 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 before my time. But like I think there's there's something also to be said in this just this idea of you know, there is a, hey, I'm going to learn and then I have to implement. Like for me it's like consume at the re- in real time. So that you can operate at the right time, right? And I think that's and and the the idea of like Uber, right? Like Uber didn't reinvent invent the concept of getting a car, right? Like taxis have been around forever. They just redesigned that experience. And I and I'm not a huge fan of using big brand examples for, but that's the perfect example of. And I think not only are a lot of ideas already out there, but most ideas that are great are not very relatable to most people. And if you can simply take a great idea and relate it to that community, it's truly powerful. And so I I agree with the point that some people can get over consumed. Do you have any tricks or things for yourself where maybe you're down a research rabbit hole or you're consuming that kind of help you pull yourself back out?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to remember where you're at in your journey. And I think, again, it's just a mindset thing that you develop over time. I will tell you when you're constantly reading people like Eric Brunjolson and Guy Kawasaki, you are like, who am I to put my thoughts out there? You know, like everything, or you, or you put too much pressure on yourself to be at a certain level. And I think you have to remember. Like back, you know, 30 years ago, this is probably where they were, but because they kept doing it, that's why they are here now. And so to me, it's almost like, it's one, it's like a double-edged sword because you don't know what it feels like until you do it, but you won't do it because you're intimidated by the fear. But I think, you know, my podcast is a really good example. If you listen to episode one or two, they're awful. I mean, they're absolutely awful, but I knew that if I was going to try to be like, if I was going to try to be like the happiness lab host, right? Like, I forget her name. Yeah. No, Laura Santos. Laura, if I was yeah, going to try to be her, I would never start, right? Like, I don't have the yeah. funding for like a production lab. I don't, I'm not being sponsored by a company. I don't have all of these things. And so, at some point, you just have to realize like, you, you have to have an internal goal. I think that's another thing that design thinking does for you as well. Like, you have to have an internal goal for what you're trying to achieve. And it can be anything, it can be it can be whatever you want it to be, but there has to be something internal that drives you to want to take step one. But once you take that step one, I found that that reinforces your confidence a lot. So you do it more than once, and now then you have those memories to lean back on. So that to me is powerful, like having those memories to lean back on. I tried that that one time, and it was like this, but now look where I am, if I had never done step one. I would would never be here. And so you have to have those points of reference, I think, for yourself.
0: And I think that's that is the 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 problem right now, right? There there's a a tendency to be like someone already wrote a book on it. There's already a podcast on it, or the you know, and and I love Ani said she said it as well. She's like, yeah, your first episodes are always bad, right? And and like I always say, you know, somebody's first live stream from their phone is happening because the first thing they show is your feet because no one realizes the back camera's on first, not the front camera of your phone. So like everyone's first stream is their feet, and and for me, like even that journey of like where people will say, you know, press the damn button, of course, being my mantra, the name of the podcast, press the damn button. The reason that that to me is out there is that you don't know what works until you try. And then once you try and you start to see it, I now believe that's where strategy. And so people were like, well, Brian, you just want you to press the damn button and keep throwing you know, mud at the wall. And, and you... I'm like, no, content for content's sake has ruined much of the internet with so much random, useless information that's up there. But there is something to be said of like putting it out there. And one of the things I've done recently is I've, I've really been addicted to TikTok creators that are now becoming influencers because so many of them will say in every interview, I never thought of myself as a creator. I never thought of myself as a storyteller. I wasn't trying to do anything. All of a sudden I found an app that allowed me to hide my voice and be on video. And I was scared of video, but I could lip sync. So then I tried it. And then once I got comfortable and I found that there was other stay-at-home moms doing it, then I started to add my voice. And then I realized people really related on the fact that I make these morning meals every day that I just started making videos. And like, and so you hear this from these, And that example is from a TikTok creator. She's over 3.5 million followers on TikTok. And she's going to clear probably close to a million dollars in revenue this year. And her whole thing was like, she just started on TikTok, became the medium. And then she started pressing that damn button. And I'm so glad that you said that piece of it, right? Because I think- there is something in the learning and the research and the journey. But I'm gonna let's take it another step further. We are all living from home. We're all working, you know, this remote work, this world we're in right now. Not only do we have a tendency to get lost in our research, and I like that you said we have an internal goal, but how do you look at us redefining our goals or adapting our goals? Because I know a lot of design thinking for me would all of a sudden I would discover something brand new and I would get that feeling of like, uh-oh everything else I've done was wrong. Or like, I have to go back and reinvent that. How do you approach that? Because I can see people kind of exploring that today. And because you are home or because you're not, you know, in your normal office, it has a tendency to get lost in the thinking and you end up with a whole lot of nonsense that gets you nowhere.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the most important tenets of design thinking is to fail fast and fail forward. You know, you've got to, and you know, we'll use Guy Kawasaki here since we're such Mm -hmm. huge fans. But one of the things Guy Kawasaki Kawasaki shares in one of his books about how, like his process when he was designing software, he said, if we had waited until everything was perfect, you would never have seen the software. It never would have launched. And so he has this mantra. He says, don't worry, be crappy.
0: And that yeah, really they is, like every if your first edition of something isn't crappy you waited too long right like exactly
1: exactly and so I think you know and I feel like I've experienced this one of the biggest dangers of the environments that we're in is we have to now create so many false constructs for things being like quote unquote normal and I don't mean normal by like going back to how we were but for example like I was just on the phone with a colleague the other day and we realized like just the getting out of your car and walking to a coffee shop or walking to your meeting, there are things that you subconsciously or consciously see or hear. Like, oh, it's the people who made the funny sign outside the coffee shop. You know, they had cool slogan there, or it's the color of something, or there's just so many things that we by default were exposed to that if you just are working from home and you're at your desk all day, you have complete, there is no space for that outlet anymore. And so. You there's a lot of things we have to do now to create these false constructs. Stretching and moving is another one. I never yeah. had to think twice about stretching or walking or being active, but now I have to like put it into my calendar as a block. <laughs> Otherwise, I could potentially go 12 hours without moving once. Maybe I'll go to the bathroom. Maybe I'll go get lunch. Maybe I'll do something. That's just like, what, not even 10 steps.
0: It's happened to me more days than I want to admit that absolutely. I spend, get lost. You know, and that is, and and it's, it's also kind of like reframing little things, right? And I've always, like, I've worked from home 13 of my 17 years of my professional career, but this is the longest I've ever been home without traveling. So I've always traveled since 2003, average 45 weeks a year. So although I've been working from home, I've never lived this life. Like, this is working from home without going anywhere, right? Like, I'm not even talking to humans outside of, you know, video calls. So you're right. Like, that's such a, a important aspect of, like, setting alarms, figuring out how that works. And that also leads me into one thing that I think is is pretty interesting in the sense of when people hear from me saying, press the damn button, and you, perfection's a fairy tale, and you need to fail forward, they're like, Brian, that's nice. You, your image that you've built is very non-perfect. It's very backwards hat, very, and, and you're a boy. I hear that a lot. Like, oh, well, it's nice to be a boy and do that. I, I recommend everyone that's listening to this show, those that are watching live, you need to check out... Saba's Instagram account. I said this to her on on the last time. To me, the the aesthetic. The words that you use, the the strategy, you're very you know, intentional with the words you use, the style of your of your page. I'm never one that says like, "Hey, you should do a certain uh you know style or format on your Instagram page." And then I looked at yours and I was like, "I need to rethink that Aww, process." So it's ask Miss Q over, uh, Miss Q uh, over at Instagram. So my question to you, and maybe this will help me, is that for those that Look at those ideas of failing fast, failing forward, and you have to, your first you know, rendition of something has to be crappy. That doesn't mean you can't display a level of quality that is up to your standard. How do you look at that?
1: I feel like okay, so um, we can like talk about your book. Here. And I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I have a huge feeling that this is what I'm going to learn from that book. The book you shared about black sheep and having values. Yes, I think we are at like I think that's one of the things that's so um the, the one of the shifts again that we have to make today. We're so used to doing things for other people, um, whether it's our boss, whether it's you know your parent, whether it's your teacher. We've been trained to always do things for whoever is in charge, and it's very rare that we do things for ourselves. And even when we talk about doing something for ourselves. It's like, oh, go to a spa day or take a bath or something like that. But we really are at a point where so many things, when things change so quickly, the only thing that can keep you grounded are your own values. Like what what does success mean to you? You know, what are the things that are important to you and how do you measure yourself? So Again, I mean, I know this sounds easier said than done, but these are huge mindset shifts. And that's, you know, one of the things in my mind that design thinking allows for, because if we start doing that with kids at an early age, they will naturally grow up like that with that mindset, with that mentality. Definitely harder to do as an adult, but not impossible because it's how you're wired as a human. So for me, it's really about having your own internal set of standards, what matters to you, how you measure yourself and how your own growth Um, is happening according to your own metrics, not those that somebody else has put in place for you.
0: And I think that's so important too. I think there's part of that too. Like I mean, the people I'm coaching a, a group right now and you know, from different walks of life. And the thing that I stress is we have to not only define what success looks like for you, but I want to visualize it. Like, and it's very like, uh, I mean, mind map, you know, sticky notes. And I think that is such an important aspect that you, it's not judging to someone else's piece, right? And I think for those that are intimidated by video, I always put back and it's not always the case, but most of the time, they're comparing themselves to a YouTuber like iJustine, who's been on the platform for 15 years. Or they're like, well, I'm not as good as Katie Couric. I'm like, did you just say you're not as good? Like, you're not as good as, like, a professional that's been doing it her entire career. Like, no kidding. But let's look at people that are in your industry or somewhere similar that have similar experience. And let's start, like, you know, kind of measuring that on, on that plane. And I think that's also, that, that's a, an exciting place. But for you, I think there's also something here where, educators this is a new space for a lot of your approach to education so oftentimes there might not be somebody that is a peer that is direct aligned how do you like do you have a a methodology or a way that you're certain places that you go for inspiration that's outside of education or certain ways that you like to kind of discover those new type of things yeah you (laughs)
1: I mean, I mean, that's really what it was, right? Like that's what Snapchat, and it's not that I necessarily that I was going and I was looking for it. It was when I first joined Snapchat. So what was it? Was it like 2014 or I think it was back, yep. it was it was a long time ago. And so by default, because there was no educator on Snapchat at that time, my only choice was other people from other industries. And when I started listening to your guys' stories, I remember very specifically three people. It was you, it was Chelsea Pites, and it was Ai Zhang. And I remember listening to your guys' stories and I was like, wow, like we talk about the same thing too. And at that same time, like I was reading a bit of Gary Vee and I was just reading some of these other things. And I was like, wow, like there's so many people that talk about the exact same thing, just a different slant because they're in real estate or they're in marketing or they're in whatever. But we're all actually talking about these. Same thing, and we're struggling with the same thing. Yes. And so that really is what opened my eyes to the importance of like, to now, I would honestly say, I don't really know that I look to people in my own industry as much. Like, I definitely have that there by default, but I think the people that I'm really listening to are the people who are in industry. And that was, again, the point of the podcast. Like, I don't. I'm not I'm not interviewing people who are teaching design thinking. I'm the goal is to interview people who are practicing it in industry because that those are the ones who are doing it day in and day out. Like they're they're living it and what it is that we're trying to teach. And so by talking to those people and by listening to their stories, you learn so much more about how people are interacting. You learn more, you just are exposed to just a completely different set of people. And I think it helps make you really comfortable in knowing that, wow, there's so many people out there struggling with the exact same thing, trying to solve the same problems. I'm just one of like a million. And so it does, I think, lower the pressure a little bit as well. Like everyone's trying to figure this out. You're just one small part of the puzzle, but you need all those pieces to be successful.
0: So I, I I want to tie this into when you and I were hanging out last year and, you know, most people look at me, I'm very introverted, love to talk, love to, you know, like push boundaries, but I I can say I'm not usually one that is good at either approaching a stranger or, you know, surveying or bringing questions. And you and I, we had got ice cream and we were, you know, there in California and you approached two students that were on a bench and, um, and you were like, Hey, can I ask you a couple questions? And we're going to film this on Snapchat. Talk, talk us through that. I want, I want you to, because for those that want to listen to the audio, I'm going to make you go listen to the episode that I'm on her podcast because uh, Saba is going to play the full clip. But so when we did that, I, it blew my mind. I remember the whole ride home in the Uber. I was like, man, just that little like serving these students and hearing their response not only validates some of the stuff that I, that I'm working on, but it also like. I mean, it inspired me to do two more videos when I got back the next day to uh, to like answer some questions. So, uh, t- explain what we what happened. And I love your thought process on how, like because you just walked up and did it. And I just it was like it blew me away. I was like, man, I like that. that that's impressive. So.
1: One of my favorite things to do is to, whenever I'm hanging out with somebody like you, for example, like I feel like I get to meet so many cool people. One of my favorite things to do is to be able to share their message with people. Like I can talk about like, oh, I heard this person and this is what they said, but there's something really special about like being in person with that individual as an as a, as a way to be able to show, look, this really does happen. So when I say, put your story out there and you'll network with people because that's what ultimately happens, this conversation right now is an example that four years later, look where we are. And this isn't just like one example. There's so many examples of that. And so part of it is like being able to put that out there. So people see that connection over time. But with those students, they, so I was asking you, Brian, tell us about press the damn button, like on my Snapchat story. And they were listening and we didn't really realize that they were there because they were just kind of like on the side, having ice cream. And they were like, Oh, that, that's a really cool thing you shared. They commented on what you were saying. And that's what then opened the door to, and then asking them like, Oh, well, you know, what resonated with you? And they were really like, I, I just, I will never forget, like, like hi, we're two students at Stanford who checked every single box, knew exactly what we needed to do. Uh-oh, we've gotten to this point. And they literally said to you, we don't really know what we want to do with our lives, but we want to make sure whatever it is brings us joy. And oh. I just remember thinking, like, how ch- it goes back to that story with the EOPS kids, right? It doesn't. It's yes. not about socioeconomic status. It's just about we don't give people the opportunity to explore who they are. So you check all the boxes, you get to this place, and then it's like, okay, wait, now what? And so, oh,
0: and, so and so, and like, I gave me chills still, and it gave me chills that moment when they said that because then it was yeah, also like, wow, I get a chance to instill what I've learned, right? Which is part of, and but I also think in this. In this world, and I, I'm guilty of this as well, in the world we're living in today, wait, like the reason I created this podcast is because I wanted to connect a lot of my audience to amazing people. But to create a podcast, launch that, put all that, there's a lot of things that go on to it. And I mean I think we both hear on a regular basis where you'll meet somebody like, we should collaborate, we should do something. And then it just never happens, right? And there's something beautiful about being able to, hey, let's do this in real time. But then the, the, this goes back to like, I think that design thing is like, you asked them that question. Like I, w- I would have done most of this. And I think for those that are out there, this is things that we should be doing in our everyday life. When someone should, they come out like, oh, that was really interesting. I, I never heard it presented that way. And then you were like, what resonated with you? Like that question opened them up to say things that gave me chills. That then we, we started having these conversations. We were giving them websites and books too. And we were also giving them permission that it's okay to feel how they currently feel. And I think in this, I mean, right now in the COVID, we we all need that like permission to be like, I, my, one of my sayings right now is being, it's okay to not be okay. And you need to learn to be okay with not being okay. Like, okay. Like like that, because that, it's, there is this tendency of like, Oh my goodness, everyone else is is like figuring out how to work in this, you know? And they're like, no, we're all one day's high, one day's low. Like literally it's, it's such a hot mess. And I love that you did that. And, and I think not only that your curiosity to learn from them, but also like you putting yourself as a student, right? Like, I I think there's so many, that's so much that can be learned. uh, And, you know, like one of my favorite shows for a long time was Undercover Boss, right? Where you see the, and I always say like, it's the show I cry every episode. Like, I'm a very emotional person, but like that show gets me because it's like the owner sees the great employees that are doing great things that are unsung that get rewarded and take it, you know, and I think, man, the world could use more of that. When you when you look at your, your journey and, I, and, I, and journey from travel, like I love your, your Instagram stories and you do a great job of documenting your journey, but you also do it in a very learning way. Right? You talk about like what you've done, because I always say like give people access, but you also are like, hey, and I discovered this, right? And I think there is something beautiful about sharing what you discover. How do you do you approach that? Because I, I think a lot of times people that are listening are like, well, I'm not a creator. I'm a, you know, I'm a student, I'm an educator. And like, when I say that, they're like, yeah, but like, that's what you do now. And I think when I, when I consume your content, there's so much you know, value and so much depth to it that I think we can all learn from kind of adding that. How do you kind of approach sharing your story the way you do? Because it's not an open filter of everything, but it's such a, such a way of being very intentional with the access you give us, but also the education you give us.
1: I think one of the things that I noticed happening subconsciously when I first used to do Snapchat stories was, you know how like, I think the number one pe- thing most of us struggle with is w- what should I create? Like who wants to see anything because everything I'm doing is boring. I'm not doing anything interesting, which is completely false, right? Like, so like Derek Siver is my favorite thing. What's boring to you is interesting to everyone else. So that's that's the biggest r- mind block I think we have when we think about what we want to put out there. And I remember when I reframed framed how I thought of that. So I would wake up in the morning and I'd be like, okay, what story do I want to tell today? And it was another thing I actually got to experiment with in school. And it's really interesting because a lot of people will tell you, well, when you're on social media and you're doing your stories and this and that, you're not present in the moment. So when I was doing my little, you know, student experiment, um, I was like, wow, school is so boring. I'm sitting in lectures all day. No one's going to want to see or hear anything. But I woke up that day and I was like, okay, hey, I'm going to try my own formula, you know, but in school. And I woke up and I was like, okay, what story do I want to tell today? And what happens when you approach your day with... Okay, what story am I going to tell today? Like what's going to happen today that's going to be my story? You see everything in a completely different light. So whereas before you just things are just happening, you're not thinking about them, you're just going through the motions. When you're looking for a story in your day, you start to notice things that t- even the most mundane things now become somewhat interesting. And yes. so that's my approach to I guess how I create stories. Is what story do I want to tell today?
0: I love that. I love that. I often look at it and it's like I look at my entire day and I'll be like, what element of access can I give someone that is either going to help them, inspire them, or connect with them in a way that like, you know, like th- and I think that's such a such a great way to do it. And I think you know, it doesn't take much time for those that get that struggle with that, right? It's like, and, and oftentimes for me, it's like in the shower, and I'd be like, Oh man, I got that call, that call, that call. I'm like, how would I thread that together? And like all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness. I have like I'm interviewing, you know, six brand leaders and I'm going to wear a backwards hat. And I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do a story about like why I wear my hat. And the, where the hat came from, or like, you know, like, and like kind of connecting that like thread. I have a, a good friend who is a future guest coming up on the show, um, Tamsin Webster. She has a YouTube series called The Red Thread. And she has a, um, I mean, one of the, probably the videos I've watched on repeat a lot as a speaker is connecting your, you know, theme throughout everything you do. And she, she does a great job of breaking that down. I think that's, that's something that you do really well, you know, move, you know, pushing as we go forward. And on this part of the podcast, I think, you know, I, I have to say that this is where I want to press your buttons to see where you're at and, and how you look at things. And I know one of the things that you, you have a, a balance of all the things going on in your life, what you share, what you don't share, the access you give in different arenas. As you look at like kind of growing your brand, traveling, doing the things that you're doing, what excites you the most about like opportunities or undiscovered possibilities? Like how, what are the things that you either you're doing or that you think about that can, re- that really excite you about? And I, I know during the, during COVID, it's a little bit different, but I'm just curious how you look at that.
1: Um, well, I don't know that I've thought about that a lot, but I would say maybe the two things that excite me the most is number one, I love being able to connect people. I think like I, I think that's something that I do well because I just dabble in so many random areas that sometimes I can be in a conversation with one person I can be like oh like you know you should see what this person is doing like I really do enjoy seeing all the different things that people are doing and being that connector for people um, and I think that's a lot of things something that we can all be for each other you yes. know I think we that's all great. know people in different places like that and so that's something that really excites me is how we're able to connect each other to things. Um and then the second thing that I'm really kind of fascinated by is what it's like to sort of be maybe like an education like for lack of a better term like influencer. I actually really like your term that you've come up with digital futurist and I've thought a lot about like what does it mean to be like an education futurist. Like, How do you merge, like travel into that as a way of being able to share stories? Because one of the things that I found really, really fascinating from my doctoral program was, you know, we got to visit all these different countries. And one of the biggest takeaways for me is we don't share stories enough. So like a lot of the things that I saw... Just they're not really out there. And so when you don't see what people in other parts of the world are doing and how other systems are moving forward, it's very easy to live in a bubble where you think everything that you have is fantastic. And that's not meant to say that, you know, what you have isn't fantastic or you should always want more, more, more. But if you don't understand the dynamics of what education, of what industry, of how people in China are doing things, how people in Finland are doing things, how people in Australia, Singapore, whatever, are doing things, you really do run the risk of living in a bubble where tomorrow when you find out that you've been left behind or the story that's being sold to you on TV about how you're the best in the world and you're leading in XYZ just simply isn't true. Because you haven't had that exposure. And so there is a little part of like, how do you bridge like education, social justice through travel stories?
0: I love that. And I love that, like that, like that line too. And I can tell you like the futurist piece, like five years ago, I actually went and found the email for this blog I'm writing. I found an email where I, someone had suggested like, Brian, you should call yourself a futurist. And I was like, no, like, I'm, I'm not someone, and I, there's a couple of futurists that I had known at the time that were like predicting 40 years out and robots take over the world. And, and I, I looked at that very, you know, very, with a whole different lens. And then two years ago, my speaker agent was like, Brian, like, and, and I had a problem. I, my problem being the CEO of No Niche was that people, were, and this came from a good friend, Jay Bear. He was like, Brian, I love what you're doing. Everyone I know that works with you loves what you're doing. I have really no idea what you do. And I'm like, wait, you're like a, a friend, a mentor, like what? And he was like, he's like, how do I even label? Like, I call you like a millennial speaker, podcaster, digital. And I, it was like, and he's like, and how do I connect that story back to your original story? And like, how do I thread this into what you're, and I was like, and then what she, what, what Michelle, my speaker agent, she was like, what about digital futurist? And it, it hit me like, Oh my God, it connects these things that, you know, and like even the digital empathy thing that you and I talk about, you know, this idea, like for me, I was so frustrated because I wanted to push the empathy message and it would be threaded with a, uh, you must unplug from technology or the world would be more empathetic without social media. And I was like, oh, actually, actually I would disagree. And and to your point on like the exposure, like I felt when I was 25, I went to Seoul, Korea for the first time. i the whole trip home was I have been living in a bubble and what in like just knowing how people live, how they learn. And I think to your point, like that, there, there are some people, there's a, um, there's a guy named Sean Feedman, who is a friend of mine on Facebook. He's a speaker. I need to connect you to because he did it from, he traveled the world focused on community and he went in at at like a very, and he's, he was very young, I think 16 to 21, traveling to all these countries and really was working on the definition of what a community was for, for people. And his research, the background of it is really impressive. And it was something that like, but to your point, when you were saying that about education, right? Like not only how we educate, but like where we get education from, like even the idea, like, we're like, oh my goodness, we have to keep all our kids home to educate. Like, how are we going to do that? Like, there are plenty of people in this world that have figured out solutions in this space. That the rest of doing. the world has,
1: like the rest of the world has figured it out.
0: That's why like for us, like wearing a mask is a struggle. The rest of the world figured that out like 15 years ago. They're like, hey, America, like wearing a mask and like bringing it with you is not anything that's uh crazy new, um, but I love that. So I'm going to, you said something on your podcast, which I was a guest with you and that I wanted to end this podcast with, and you said about the whole concept of, you know, you really wanted to make sure that you were, that you were being purposeful with what you're doing now and setting yourself up for success. And you were talking about your cousin and, and like some things that you were just like, Hey, I'm missing out or I'm not finding there. And you you just decided like, Hey, I'm going to figure out this is possible. And then once you figured out it was possible, you're like, you put a date on it and you're doing it. Right? Like, so for those that are out there right now that we're kind of living in this, and, and this is something, a thread that I will continue to hammer home, is we do have to re-examine everything in our lives. At this moment, it's the perfect time to do that. How? What is your advice for people? That, yes, I think we can all become self-aware, but taking the action to not let time pass us by when we're aware of the things that we're missing. How are you looking at that? Because I, I, you inspired me as soon as you said that, I was like... Wow, I've done the same thing, but I've made zero plans for execution. How would you How would you look at that? And what would you advice? Would you give to the, the audience?
1: So we'll preface this with like, it is a fake expiration date that I put in my head by myself. So, you know, this is not a political statement by any means at all, but it's more of just like a real statement for how I it. So you mentioned earlier, we both watched the two conventions. And so I watched, you know, the democratic one and I was like, okay, I feel like he has a really good shot, like a really beautiful message, really just reminding us of so many great values. Um, but then I also saw the Trump campaign and I also realized, well, there's a pretty significant group of people that also kind of want to go this way. And so I thought, well, you know, Biden comes along, you know, one of the things I think that undoubtedly will happen is, you know, we will be in a place now where the rest of the world is kind of like the Western world, mostly, you know, like, you know, yes, we'll be wearing masks. Yes, we'll be doing what we'll be waiting for a vaccine, but we may have to start going back to a bit more of a normal routine. Like, I may have to go into schools again, which means that I do need to be present in the city that I'm living in. Whereas right now, I'm just at home all day long. And my biggest fear, really, with like, you know, Trump getting reelected are the travel bans, you know, and it made me realize, like, wow, could travel bans become worse? Like, we're seeing now places not only ban just countries like Costa Rica is doing it state by state, you know? So, I mean, it, it's a really difficult. If you're a person who really enjoys travel and that was a part of your life, this is a really, really difficult difficult time. And so it just both scenarios. So basically in my head, I was like, come January, something's going to change one way or the other, which really only gives you... We've only got four months left till the end of the year. September, October, November, December. That's four months till the yep. end of the year. And so I feel like whether it's real or not, it doesn't really matter. I'm putting January in my head as some kind of expiration date. And if I got to January, and let's just say everything did go back to normal, what would I what are the things that I would be like, oh my God, I wish I had done blah, blah, blah. Because we've all been there where we yep. all say, oh, we wish we had done this, this, and this. And I remember how much that feeling sucks. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to put this expiration date in my head. I have an opportunity to go and spend a good three months with my sister and my nephew, who's like a year and a half old and their family. And I've never had that experience with my nephew before. The most we've ever spent with him has been two weeks, which is not enough time for a kid to really get yeah. to know you. you know. And so I'm just like, wow, how like, How would I look back on this time and answer him tomorrow? So sometimes put a person in your head that you're accountable to, whether it's real or not. When he grows up and is like, how come none of you ever came to visit me? What would we say? You know, like what, we were too scared or, oh, we just didn't really think about it because we were too angry about not being able to do what we used to do. So that was kind of where I came from. And then I was like, yeah, I'm going to go visit my sister and just, you know, be as safe as I can, take all the precautions. But I think we can see from what's happening and how travel is happening in other parts of the world um, that it it seems to be relatively okay as long as you take the right precautions. Like, I don't know. So, but that's my thinking.
0: I love that. No, but I think that's, I think it's important too. I think there's, there's an element like where I think we're going to, we're feeling it now, right? Like this, uh, like one of the executives that I'm helping coach, one of his big things was like, I didn't know how much I missed of my kid's life until I was forced to be in the house with them for a month And there were so many things that I didn't know that I didn't know that I didn't know that he's, I mean, he is examining every, I mean, everything to where he was moving, removing his name off of boards and things that he like was accumulating without realizing that it was taking away from these moments and these things. But then there was us. that when you said that, there was also something that he said that he has a lot of things in his life where he doesn't regret, but he's like, I wish I would have thought of that back then. And I was like, Ooh that's important. And and even what you said was like, Hey, if I'm thinking about it right now, why don't I take an action on it? Right? Like, and I think that's, you know, that's so important. And, you know, I love what you're doing with education. I love what you're doing, you know, your brand, your story. Uh, You inspire me to, you know, approach things differently. You know, I love that, you know, our friendship grew on from Snapchat uh, to the friendship that we have now. I, I, I really love everything you have going on Uh, for our audience. That's listening. Now uh, I I threw your Instagram out there, but is there anywhere else you want to send them to connect? Uh, Also check out your podcast. Of course, I'm going to be one of the guests, but that's not the reason you should check it out. Definitely check it out because uh, it's the, you know, the, the sprint to success with design thinking, but uh, is there anywhere else you want to send the audience or or make them aware of?
1: I mean, I think my website is a good home base. It's just ask miss dot com, And it's a good home base kind of just for everything that's out there.
0: Perfect. I love that. Yeah, guys, make sure to connect. Make sure, and I, and I, I mean it with, you know, Instagram. I really, I, I enjoy, you know, it's, it's going to be my example for everyone that, that replies rebuttals to my press the damn button of like, well, we all can't be like, you know, okay, sloppy, Brian, like you. And I'm like, is that an insult or is that a, like, I'm not sure how you're like people say that. Hey, and I'm like, Hey, it's okay. That's how I have built my brand, but I love, I, I love the, your message. I love where we're working. And um, this is a heck of a lot of fun. So thanks so much for, for jumping on the show. Thanks for connecting on this Friday. I mean, we, I think we spent six hours together today across like these uh, two interviews and I'm inspired. I'm optimistic about where we're going. And um, most of all, I'm uh, thankful for your friendship. So uh, right. thank you. everyone.
1: Right back at you. Thank you so much. That was so kind. Thanks so much. This was so much fun.
0: You rock. This is great. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to our sponsor. Make sure you check out Restream.io. Definitely the the brand that I've gone all in with live streaming so that I can bring this to you guys on all the different channels. Till next time, my friends, make it a great day. Cheers.